the City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Hey everybody, this is Casey Fields, the Municipal Advocacy Manager for the Municipal Association of South Carolina. And as promised, here we are, the entire legislative team to do a wrap-up of the 2019 legislative session of the South Carolina General Assembly. We have everybody in the room, Melissa, Scott, and Tiger, to talk about bills that passed and pending legislation for the 2020 session. Without any further ado, let's get to it. Melissa, the local government fund formula bill. Tell us what it does and how it affects cities and towns. Thank you, Casey. The local government fund bill, House Bill 3137, redoes the local government fund calculation. It took it from a backward-looking um, formula to a forward-looking formula. The, L- the LGF is now um, marked along with the state budget, so therefore whatever estimate or forecast is given for the increase or decrease in the general fund revenues is the same thing that the local government fund will receive. However, it is capped at 5%, and it is capped on the backside so that if the revenues decrease, we are, will only be decreased by 5%. Melissa, don't you think this is going to make uh, local government fund more reliable? That is the um, anticipation. Scott, you finally got public utility relocation passed. I did. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Woo! I helped, but I didn't. It wasn't wasn't me. So and yes, I helped. <laughs> that was a that was a years long process, and I think we talked about this on a prior po- uh, podcast. The genesis for the bill really cropped up in about about nine years ago and it wasn't until about six years ago though that the General Assembly started moving towards the creation of the bill and the, and the writing of the bill and ultimately the passage of the bill. So six years ago a study committee was appointed by the General Assembly to look at the problem of helping cities and towns and counties move public water and sewer lines out of the rights of way whenever uh, DOT in particular was having to widen roads. Traditionally, the the burden of paying for those relocations fell on the uh, utility owner, which seemed a bit unfair since uh, they were not the ones who were creating the problem of having to move the lines. Um, You know, in North Carolina forever, DOT has always paid for uh, relocation of water and sewer lines, but that wasn't the case here in South Carolina. So several years ago, we had a bill introduced and it uh, was stopped in the House by Representative Brian White from Anderson. He was at that time the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. He lost that chairmanship this year, and the new chairman, uh, Representative Merle Smith from Sumter, was not objectionable to the bill. And so we got it out of the Senate, got it over to the House, and, and, and it was well on its way to, to getting past what we thought very early in the session. But at the last minute, DOT and, and Secretary Hall, Christy Hall, decided that they wanted to have a sunset provision added to the bill, amended to it. The original idea that they had was to sunset the bill after four years, and uh, the Water Coalition partners, the special purpose districts, uh, counties, and, and us, we all objected to that and really were at a stalemate to the point that while we were in the Senate, the uh, chairman of the uh, transportation subcommittee who was hearing the bill, uh, Senator Paul Campbell from Berkeley County, said, you know what, you all need to sit down and, and work out this problem. 
And so we literally sat down after a, the first or second subcommittee hearing on the bill in the Senate in the hearing room for about an hour and uh, had very good discussions with Secretary Hall and her staff. And she ultimately saw our side of extending the sunset, at least. If we couldn't get rid of it, then we were going to extend it. And she agreed to, uh, to support a seven-year sunset. But we all were very clear as well that after the first few years of the success of this program, that we were going to all together go back to the General Assembly and ask for the General Assembly to extend the bill. Mm -hmm. So that's going to happen uh, in the next three or four years. Over the summer, this summer, we're going to work with DOT and the Water Coalition partners to come up with a procedure for when this bill, when the provisions of this bill would be used and, uh, and who would be eligible. And real quickly, the bill would pay for 100% of the relocation costs of water and sewer lines for uh, utilities with fewer than 10,000 water or sewer taps. And then for those who are over 10,000 in sewer taps, then up to four and a half percent, I'm sorry, four percent of the total project cost could be dedicated to the water and sewer relocation costs. So um, it was a long process, took us a long time to get where we are, but it's effective now. The governor signed it into law. Uh, If cities and towns across the state have need for the use of this law, it is in place. And uh, I would encourage folks to contact their DOT folks and get that process moving. Scott, is it true that in the bill, the cities have to stay engaged in the DOT process to be able to take advantage of this? Yeah, yeah. DOT, one of the complaints that DOT's had over the years is that relocation, road projects have been delayed by utilities because of their lack of responsiveness to the DOT when they're putting together plans and trying to to figure out how they're going to move a road or widen a road. And so uh, cities and towns and utilities of any kind have an obligation to pay attention to DOT's requests for information. And more importantly, the bill says that the preliminary engineering work that has to be done by the utility, that's got to be completed and submitted to the DOT at least 180 days prior to the DOT's awarding of the construction contract. So it requires vigilance on the part of the cities. And so if you're uh, in a small town in particular and you don't have a lot of staff and you're an elected official, particularly if you're a mayor, which is where the DOT has traditionally been sending their correspondence to the attention of these mayors, well, sometimes they don't see it uh, or they don't get it in time or whatever, then they are, the DOT considers them unresponsive. So one of the things that we're going to work on procedurally this summer is figuring out alternative ways for DOT and alternative persons for DOT to notify in cities and towns so that information is conveyed to the right people in a timely fashion so that the city or town or the utility can be responsive. And it, it'll be incumbent upon the utilities to, to be responsive and hold, uphold their end of the bargain uh, in exchange for the monies so that we can demonstrate success of the program going forward. That sounds great. I know cities are looking forward to taking advantage of that. Two other bills passed that we followed closely, Senate Bill 214. It related to marketplace facilitators. Melissa, can you give us just a quick overview of what that bill does and how that directly affects cities? Sure, Casey. Um, Senate Bill 214, the Marketplace Facilitators Act, what this does is it closes a 
perceived loophole. And I say that because the Department of Revenue is very clear that this money has always been owed and continues to be owed by what we are calling third-party vendors. These are those folks that we, they call them click-throughs. They sell their products through eBay, Amazon, Etsy, any of these various websites, but they're not actually, you're not actually dealing with that particular company when you buy your product. It's actually a, a another company, and they're just using this as, as for the, the purchasing um, portal. Uh, there is a, currently a lawsuit with Amazon and South Carolina over this particular issue. So we were hoping that the lawsuit would be settled before we had to take action on this bill, but that loophole, that perceived loophole is now closed and done. So cities, towns, the state, all are looking forward to the collection of these online retailers' sales tax revenue. Great. And one other quick bill that passed, Senate Bill 440, the Textiles Revitalization Act, that was a fix to a bill that was passed in 2018. And it um, allows communities to do a couple of other things that were stopped or were prevented in the previous bill, right, Melissa? That's correct. It was a fix of a fix, so to speak. So this is something that I'm very proud of. This was a joint effort between uh, the state, Representative Gary Simrel, uh, the city of Rock Hill, and other cities were involved, but originally in the Department of Revenue. We all got together to fix a problem. What they had originally done by mistake in the bill was capped 200% of textile sites for redevelopment. And what the intention had always been was just the textile site facility itself so that you have a large textile facility and you could only increase that square footage by 200%. But the ancillary parcels around it is what it also impacted and it was not intentionally meant for the adjacent properties. And that turned out to be a real problem for a, a number of folks because they were anything from a retaining pond and, and all these types of necessary projects to redevelopment were stopped in their tracks. So DOR, Legislative Council, uh, Representative Gary Simrel, and the City of Rock Hill all worked out the details so that nobody was harmed, and we, we fixed it. Great. That's a great partnership. And I know, I know the three of y'all really feel like that session just ended. And it, I mean, it did. But I know that you feel like it just ended, but we're already working on bills that are still active, still in play for the 2020 legislative session, the second year of this two-year session. And in the year-end report that everybody will receive at annual meeting, we highlight 13 of those bills. That's just a small number of the bills that are still active, but we highlight 13 of those. Um, Everything from small wireless deployment to preemption bills, and there were a lot of preemption bills this session, to building codes to tax relief. We're going to go over a couple of those now, just have a little discussion about that. Let's start with the wireless deployment, small wireless deployment. Well, before, Scott, bef- before, we, <laughs> before we go there. Where else you want to go? Well, let's talk, let's put a sort of a, a period on one of the reasons that we think, or some of the reasons that we think that we had a lot of progress this year, mm-hmm. where in the past it may, it's been perceived that we've not made a lot of progress. Um, so, you know, and we've talked about this already a couple of times, but, you know, Tiger, there's a couple things happened that were obviously not within our control That's before right. the beginning of the session and during the session. And I, and I mentioned one of those just a second ago, but, you know, 
talk about some of the things that have happened that were, have been out of our control that fell our way this time and sort of open, literally open the floodgates on a couple of these issues that we've been working on for years. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, you touched on uh, one of the, the, the big pieces. You know, you got to kind of have the right butts in the right seats, as they say um, sometimes. And you can do a lot of the prep work. Um, a lot of the work that's required and on the advocacy side, you can even have members uh, reaching out to their representatives and encouraging them uh, to vote for something that's good or vote against something that's bad. Um, but ultimately, if you can sometimes get uh, the, the, the right person or the right people uh, in leadership who happen to be willing to listen to you for whatever reason, um, then you can see things move in a way that they would not move otherwise. And uh, some of the changes and having Representative Merle Smith now in that ways and means slot uh, and some of the, the shifting around that took place as a result of that, I think, is, is, uh, was really beneficial to us at the end of it. Well, and I think, too, the, the relationships that we have through the members who are listening to this podcast right now is really, really important. We say it all the time to the point of, of it being ad nauseum, but I can't I don't think we can underscore it enough. I mean, as, a, as an example, during the local government fund debate in the Senate, you know, we had a senator who objected to or wanted to carry that bill over at, in the, at the very end of the session when it, it was rolling through. It was do or die, and it was, it was rolling. And then, but because of our ability to reach out to people who had a relationship with him and, and they helped make him feel comfortable with the bill, and we had no until he until he moved to carry the bill over. We didn't know he had a problem with it, That's right. or that he wasn't comfortable with it. So right. timing and relationships really helped us out yeah. there. And right. we've seen that time and time again. I mean, over on the on the house side, we've seen um, you know one MVP in particular, uh, you know, in Clover, come through uh, for us repeatedly with with regard to leadership there when they needed to hear from folks back home. Uh, to be able to pick up that phone and give a call and give that uh, representative some comfort that what we are telling him from the perspective of the municipal association is actually representative of what the folks in his district also feel. And it's all about it's all about engagement. And the two people that y'all are talking about at the local level that that were able to contact their senator and their house member, they read from the dome to your home. They listen to the podcast. They read all the alerts, they are engaged, they are knowledgeable, they're following bills, and they knew exactly what you were talking about right when you needed them to, to do it. Well, and that, I think that's a key point, too, is local officials' accessibility to us to, and their willingness to respond immediately. I mean, you know, we say it often, we don't, we're not calling out the dogs or, or asking for blanket responses from people very frequently we're very strategic in how we target or, or or who we ask to reach out to whom right but but it's really important for everybody who's listening to know that if we reach out to you particularly via text right. then we it's need an emergency. you we need you right then and right. so the example that I was talking about during the LGF debate in the Senate the local official we reached out to was able to reach out to that senator while he was still on the floor and could get back to that, they could get back to that bill that day on the calendar. And it, it made a difference in, in helping get that thing passed. Casey, sometimes we're asked as, you know, why didn't I get called or why didn't you t- ask me or why didn't I hear about that particular issue? 
Well, we are trying to be empathetic to your very busy schedules. Elected officials have full-time jobs, the part-time job, Mm -hmm. families, and lots of folks pulling at them, both local and state. So we try to understand your limited resources as far as we're concerned. So if you want to be more engaged or you want to be called, please let us know and, and we'll add you. But we try to use it sparingly so as to not tax you any more than you are already taxed. Well, and, and also I think it's important. This this is going to sound kind of, I don't know how, the, I, I'm just going to say it this right. way. Of course you will. It, it, depe- it depends on just who you know. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you may have a great relationship with your legislator, but if that legislator is not the right legislator at the right time on the right issue, right. then it matters that you have a good relationship with them. But, but for that particular moment, they're not going to be able to help us. So that's why we we... We may call on you sometimes and we may not call on you, but it doesn't mean that your your advocacy at the local level and your relationship is not important and you, that you're reaching out and touching that legislator is so much more effective than you probably want to believe, but it really is. But, but an example also kind of on the opposite side with business licensing, you know, especially the last several years where everybody has jumped on and everybody has made phone calls. And that was when we asked everybody to make phone calls. It wasn't just one person. I mean, we did call certain people to say, we need you to do an extra push, but it was the volume on that issue that really made the difference. And that's something that, you know, it's like you said, it's strategic. It's not, it depends on the issue. One issue, we might make one phone call to one person and it may be solved right then, but other issues, we might have to have constant contact with certain people, mass contact. We may have to tell everybody to jump on it because it's an it's an issue that affects every municipality, but, not just big cities, small as, towns. And as Tiger said, but if the wrong butt's in the wrong seat at any time, right. you know, it, it may not it, it may not work. It may not be effective. But uh, so have so, you? Are we have we put a period on yeah, our exclamation point? I've I've said my piece. Okay, how about that? Whew, so. Thank you. All right. So now let's talk a little bit about bills that are coming up. Um, let's just do some brief touches on these, if y'all are good with that. Let's do, can we get back to small wireless for a hot second? Okay. <laughs> Tiger, you worked on this bill almost all the, se- the entire session. Tell us just a little bit about what it does and then where it ended up, where we're going. And this is a, this is a complex bill. Um, so let me first lead with, with that. Uh, this bill, we got wind of this bill pretty early on uh, in the session when a, a, a particular wireless company was out kind of shopping it about. Uh, and We had opportunities to engage on it early in its original form. Uh, even once it was finally introduced, it was in, in, in terrible uh, shape from our perspective. It was uh, completely preemptive. It would, there was no protection whatsoever uh, for existing ordinances. And, and of course, all of this deals with the deployment of small wireless facilities uh, in your municipalities. For those of you, very briefly, for those of you that might not yet be familiar with these small wireless facilities, you think of the big tower, the big cell phone tower that sends out signal that your cell phones, your mobile phones rely on. Uh, well, these are smaller nodes that are actually deployed throughout the city oftentimes uh, uh, being attached to uh, public property like traffic lights or 
uh, other poles or buildings um, that kind of help to amplify the overall capacity of the wireless network. So that's just a, a snapshot shot of why this technology has any is seen as important. In a number of South Carolina municipalities, there have already been deployments. In some cases, there have been deployments for several years now. Um, but when this uh, legislation was introduced, uh, again, it would have rode roughshod over a lot of those existing agreements, existing ordinances. It allowed very little uh, input, allowed for very little input from the municipalities with regard to the aesthetic appearance of these uh, facilities and as you all know particularly those who have taken a great deal of the public's uh, money and invested it into beautification downtown on your main street and in other areas the last thing you want to see is someone come in and plunk down some ugly um, you know wireless facility and you have no authority or no ability to tell them that they need to make that bend in uh, so that's what a lot of the fight was over this bill it did pass pretty quickly through the House um, before getting stalled out in the Senate. We continue to follow this issue. What makes this issue so complex is not just the technology that's involved in trying to understand that piece, but the fact that you've got different moving parts on the federal level and the state level as well as the local level. On the state level, you've got issues of constitutionality, uh, whether or not the state has the ability, we think they do not, uh, to be able to tell local government what they must allow in their in their municipal rights of way, and then you have you know FCC rulings and federal laws that that don't allow you to overly restrict the deployment of this important technology. So it's um, it, it and and the FCC ruling is currently being challenged. So you know a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that are definitely in flux, and so we're continuing to watch what's going on and see how we need to, you know, maybe uh, adjust our position going forward or adjust our, our model ordinances. There are a lot of things that are going to be impacted by this right. legislation. So that's definitely something that is still in play. I mean, it is still active, still working on it. A couple of other things that are definitely still in play, the preemption bills. And everybody weigh in on this because everybody had has got an opinion on preemption, but plastic bags, vaping, short-term rentals, all of those bills had a preemption component. And was there a building codes bill, Scott, that preempted? I don't think so. No, it doesn't preempt. No, but... Just makes more... Um, just bad legislation. Ooh, Melissa. It's I'm my opinion, opinion it is, but <laughs> uh, we can talk about it. Yeah. And then there's, of course, the business licensing bill again that we were going to have to work on that was stalled in sub full committee, but was um, suggested that stakeholders get together in the fall and summer to work something out. So as soon as those meetings happen, that we will let everybody know. The, the last legislative priority that did not get over the finish line, we got two out of three, and this one is ready to roll, standing there, is Senate Bill 217, the flexibility bill. And everybody's got a little piece of that. Melissa's the lead on this. So, Melissa, tell us where we are with this bill and what do we need to, to get it over the finish line early on in 2020? Sure. Well, first of all, I'm going to say we got two and a half. Done two and a half. Because got we it. got this bill through the Senate and it's sitting in the House Ways and Means Committee ready to be teed up. A couple things on this bill. I want everybody to um, 
get your homework assignment on this bill. I need for you to put your thinking cap on and start making a list of projects that currently could be of assistance if this were to pass. This bill allows for cities to use their hospitality and accommodation tax revenue, both the state and local accommodations tax revenue, towards flooding and drainage issues in tourist-related areas. Now, neither one of those terms is defined because it needs to be defined on a local level because what is tourism in one community is not tourism areas in another. So be thinking of any areas within your community that would be that could be directly impacted if you were to have this revenue source to solve your problems because right now the legislators keep jumping to the fact that they assume it's only for coastal cities, but this is for every single city in South Carolina to be able to use that has hospitality and accommodation tax revenue. So be ready, and every time you see your legislator, if you can give them an explanation on the local level so they can see and understand and touch those particular projects. And you may be able to even go back to the 2015 flood or a hurricane that impacted you or a particular storm that highlighted these needs because that will be fresh on every community leader's mind and on the legislators. And we've got to make this a downtown regional regionally specific issue to our legislators and I'm going to circle back to the right people in the right seats this all had the turn of events all happened because we have a new chairman of ways and means who heard from their local community exactly how this bill could impact downtown Sumter and when he finally got his head wrapped around how this could help his folks down back home all of a sudden the light bulb went off and we're like okay so now we're ready to move come this january so your voice is going to be critical in moving this bill over the finish line tiger we had three advocacy initiatives so this one was the the half that got almost <laughs> done we talked about local government fund formula and finally criminal justice academy the money to ease the burden talk about that a little bit um well you know in this this issue really kind of takes us back to something that we talked about in the last podcast, um, and that was the importance of regional advocacy meetings. It's really highlighted here. Uh, the reason the reason why the Criminal Justice Academy uh, and the funding for the Criminal Justice Academy and the amount of time that it takes um, to get new law enforcement officers into the academy so they can get the training they need uh, the reason that rose to the level of becoming an advocacy initiative was because we heard from folks repeatedly at the regional advocacy meetings. Uh, so to go back to something that, you know, Melissa mentioned, you know, when folks wonder, well, man, I wonder how that happened. Or I wonder why I, you know, didn't get a chance to weigh in on that. A lot of times that's where it happens. That's where these things uh, bubble up. And so anyway, after they bubbled up, after we heard from so many people saying, y'all, this is a problem. This is a problem that we're facing uh, down home, back home, uh, and we need a solution. Well, we went out and we investigated. And the way we do that is we go directly to the source. We had multiple meetings with the director of the Criminal Justice Academy, who has also come and presented to our managers groups and our mayor's groups before. 
We talk to um, a lot of the local law enforcement folks that work with the folks in risk management and with other groups. And we found out it's a three prong issue. You know, one, there's the applicant pool issue. Then there's the capacity of the academy issue. And then there's the retention issue. Uh, well, in recent years and during this year, there have been some steps taken to kind of start to address the applicant pool issue. You've got a, a, a state law requirement now that that's right, yeah. that there be a, um, a psychological analysis that must be done before a candidate shows up at the academy. Well, now the academy has also used its authority to require that there be an aptitude test. And we're talking about a test that costs about $14, $15 to administer. Um, and I think the academy is even finding a way to, re, um, to, to uh, reimburse that expense. Um, so that kind of addresses the some of the the pipeline issue right. but the capacity issue is a long-standing issue and it's it was a funding related issue for years the criminal justice academy has been dependent upon fines and fee revenue for most of its money that is not how you want an, an agency of that importance to be funded and so they knew and they acknowledged at some point that there were uh, ways that they could use technology and ways that they could shave down the amount of time between classes uh, so that they could create more seats annually and so they could reduce the wait times uh, for some of these officers to get into the academy. But in order to commit to that, you needed to get more of that money on a recurring basis. And this year, the General Assembly came through uh, with $3.2 in additional recurring funds for the academy and the, the new use of technology and, the, um, and, and those uh, new approaches that will hopefully result in a significant decrease in the wait time are already being implemented. The embracing of new technology is, also, is another example of a change of a butt in a seat. New director Jackie Swindler has been on board a couple of years and he's been receptive to these alternative ideas of how to deliver training where Perhaps in the past, that's not been something that's been a, more of a priority. So, Scott, I would like to invite you to put a period on this conversation and wrap up how you saw the session. Everybody's going to get a chance to do this, but I wanted to give you a chance first. Well, I think the session was I was I was very pleased at the way we were able to push some things forward. We've already talked about and, you know, again, it. It was a result of a lot of years of hard work and preparation and groundwork that we laid and, our, and members laid over the course of those years. But then we had luck in the changes in leadership and, right. and the changes in attitude. And then the engagement, I thought the engagement of our members and our strategic use of them throughout the course of the session was really really paid off well this year and uh, not that we don't try it every year but everything just aligned and so what I don't but I, what I don't want to do is you know have folks get their hopes up that we're going to be able to knock bills out year after year that and to, that to meet critical needs that they come up with because uh, that expectation while certainly is our our goal is to meet that expectation it's not necessarily realistic to hold us to that expectation uh, without a lot of support and help from back home. So uh, we'll play a lot of defense in 2020, unfortunately, which is a position that we're accustomed to, but it is a whole lot easier to play that defensive game whenever we have, whenever we've got everybody that has our back back home. 
Melissa, how did you feel about it? Well, it was fun to finally play some offense and not constantly playing defense. That was very pleasant for a change. I think the change in leadership not only led to new folks seeing things differently, but it also opened the door to coordination between the Senate and the House. That's the first, this is the first session in a couple of years where there has been a great deal of coordination and the budget process was one of the smoothest processes Mm -hmm. I've seen in years because the staffs and the leadership of both Ways and Means and Senate Finance work together throughout and the governor's office. Mm -hmm. So you have two branches of government that were closely aligned And that always makes for a much more successful session. All right, Tiger. You know, this year really kind of demonstrated that when it comes to legislation, it really is a marathon and not a sprint, right? We've all had that situation where we we see some artist, some new musician or new uh, celebrity that seems like they just blew up on the scene. And then when you finally get an opportunity to see that uh, documentary that goes behind the scenes, you find out, man, this person's been writing songs for 15 years, you know? Um, And we saw that really this year. You know, it seems like, wow, you know, this bill got introduced in the beginning of 2019 and it made it across the finish line. Well, how did that happen? That was just, you know, overnight success. But then when you dig deep, you find out that these are issues or this is groundwork that's been laid for years and years and years. And it takes persistence um, and endurance. And when you when you have that uh, persistence and that endurance, both in the advocacy team and our members who have the most important and the most powerful voices back home, raising those voices in support of those issues, then when an opportunity presents itself, you can seize it. You know, and you can make some stuff happen. And that's what we saw happen this year. Scott, anything else you'd like to add? No. Um, that's a wrap on the 2019 session. We have been working on 2020 bills already. This is just the first opportunity we've all had a chance to sit around the table together and look at each other. So please stay tuned to the podcast. We're going to use this podcast to dig deep into some of the bills that are still active. We're going to dig deep into some building codes bills, Municipal Tax Relief Act, um, some of the preemption bills. And for each episode, we're going to dedicate one episode to one issue. So please stay tuned to the podcast and always remember to follow our legislative team on Twitter. They are still tweeting, even though we're not in session. I just sent one. You just live tweeted the yes. recording of the podcast? Yes, I just live tweeted. Yes. I cannot believe you did that. So it's I a preview. I'm impressed you live tweeted. I should have live Instagrammed or something. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and y'all stay tuned. Thank Period. you. Period. The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www masc.sc and stay up to date with the association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.